going to love this. Just love it. Yes, you really, really will. Really, really, really. Really. Yes, I am stuck in the middle with you. Live from Los Angeles, 90.7 FM, KPFK, Pacifica Radio, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake, 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Oregon Central Coast. And, of course, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org, on the Stitcher app, on the TuneIn app, on the Progressive Voices channel, on Netroots Radio, on Indie Media Weekly, on iTunes, and everywhere else you can run but you can't hide. This is your Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly citizen, investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around Swell fellow says me, if no one else, back live with you here. So happy about it. It's been a uh, a long and difficult fun drive here at KPFK. And I want to thank everyone who supported us during that time. Uh, we really need your help. We really need your support. So we thank you for that. Uh, just a reminder, we are not funded by corporate interests you know, NPR, they are, by the way. We are the only non-corporate media outlet uh, in Los Angeles and uh, damn near around the country at this point. So thank you. Thank you again. All right. Uh, well, the politics of stupid. Are we now at uh, peak idiocy yet? I think we might be. And we're going to talk about that in a moment with my guest, Eric Bollert. Also, uh, coming up a little bit later in the show, Desi Doyen, as usual, with the Green News Report. As oil trains, oil bomb trains keep exploding with another two just within this past week, Florida tries to ban global warming. Good luck with that. The Fukushima disaster, four years later, it's still a disaster. And a happier story, a solar airplane soars into aviation history as it begins its around-the-world trip, even at night. Looking forward to all of that and a bit more. But first, after that long fun drive, as I said, there's so many things going on, and frankly, almost none of them make any sense. None of them at this point, I swear, none of them seem tethered to reality. It seems the media, the politicians, they're just sort of making this up as they go. They've completely lost track of reality. I don't. Maybe it's just me. Maybe only I have lost track of reality. I mean, between the uh, recent idiotic brinksmanship over defunding the Department of Homeland Security unless the president revokes his perfectly normal executive actions on immigration... To this nuts, this absolutely nuts letter written by 47 uh, Republican U.S. senators to Iran to try to undermine negotiations 
on their nuclear program. Going to definitely talk about that a little bit later because it's worse than you think. It is. It's crazy. To the insane freezing snowy weather in the east, finally warming up, to the record-breaking warmth and drought at the same time out here in the west, to the media madness of Brian Williams, and even more so, Fox News' Bill O'Reilly that uh, nobody really seems to care about, which is amazing to me. We're going to talk about that in a moment. To this latest Clinton derangement syndrome revival over her over Hillary Clinton's emails. Uh, None of it, frankly, uh, makes any sense. None of it is being covered as it should or being ignored as it should, unless everyone's gone crazy, which I hold out as a very good possibility. Or, as I said, maybe it's just me. Here to let me know if I've gone crazy... It's our old friend, uh, the senior fellow at Media Matters for America, Eric Bullert, author of Bloggers on the Bus, How the Internet Changes Politics and the Press, and Lapdogs, How the Press Rolled Over for Bush, which uh, brings to us a bit of institutional memory today that's uh, coming in particularly valuable, I think, this week. Oh, Eric, welcome, sir, to the broadcast. Hey, Brad, how are you? I'm okay. Uh, Yeah, you really... You know, I'm so glad because I want to talk to you about this and and how the Hillary email ties back to the George W. Bush years in a second. And I had forgotten that you had written that book yeah. uh, about the Bush years. So this is perfect. Before we get to that, though, uh, I want to get your take on this, uh, Eric. Uh, Fox News, I'm uh, told via a recent poll from Quinnipiac, uh, is the uh, apparently the most trusted name in news in comparison rankings, 29 percent responded that they trust Fox News the most. CNN follows with 22 percent. CBS and NBC News are at 10 percent. ABC at 8 percent and MSNBC at 7 percent. So everyone ran around and said Fox News is the most trusted. What's the real story on that, Eric Bullert? It's interesting. They're the most trusted and Bill O'Reilly, the the face of Fox News, has been documented as, as sort of a chronic liar. Well, I mean, the, the, if you want to talk about that specific poll, you know, that 29%, you know, all the Republicans pick the same answer. Right. So, I mean, there's basically this country is 33% Republican, and so all the, re, all the conservatives pick Fox News, and everyone else sort of spreads their answer around. And so, look, that's how Roger Ailes set this up. You know, it was going to be the destination place for conservative uh, media, and and so, right, so auto, so automatically, sort of uh, knee-jerk response is yes, yes, they trust Fox News. So, you know, if it was 55%, I'd say, oh, my God, that's amazing. But it essentially tracked for all independent polling, mm-hmm. you know, the per- same percentage of conservatives in America. So, so the right-wingers uh, like Fox News, and then everybody else uh, is split up a bunch all, yeah, yeah. Uh, amongst all the other ones, basically. Exactly. Uh, yeah. there, there was something else in this poll that I want to get to, uh, but not yet, because it concerned the O'Reilly situation. And we're going to get to this O'Reilly situation, but first... We have to get to this Hillary situation. Uh, But to put this in context, which I'm really glad you did, uh, Eric Bullert, this week, because I haven't seen this a lot. Back in 2007, I seem to recall another scandal concerning private emails. In fact, millions of them that the press corps uh, didn't seem nearly as interested in. Can you give us a refresher on what happened in 2007 since uh, nobody else in the media seems to remember this? 
It's very interesting, uh, particularly uh, in light of this just absolutely endless frenzy that we're going through uh, for the last week. So in April of 2007, the White House uh, announced uh, that there was a congressional investigation into the uh, Attorney General Gonzalez firing, uh, for partisan reasons, his um, eight attorney generals around the country. And that investigation led to questions about emails, you know, who was discussing it. And during that investigation, they found out that Karl Rove and, you know, about 20 other staffers at the White House were using private emails set up by the RNC, emails that went to the RNC servers, emails that would not show up in sort of a general search. So congressional investigators demanded all the emails, and on April 12, 2007, the White House announced it didn't have any of the emails. It had lost 5 million private email accounts used by uh, Karl Rove and used by 20 other senior uh, staffers at the White House. 5 million. Let's just Five underscore million. that. 5 million. 5 million. So try to imagine yeah. today, uh, even if you want to say if Hillary had lost 500,000, and that they were at the center of a congressional investigation. You mean, remember the Benghazi? Yes, they're looking for her emails. They've got her Benghazi emails. They had them six months ago. They don't care about them. There's nothing in them. So just imagine what this frenzy would look like if Hillary, if we found out the DNC was running Hillary's yes. email account while she was Secretary of State and they lost five million emails. So. So that's a, I mean, again, in the context of today, you look back and you're like, oh, my God, that must have been crazy. That story broke on a Wednesday. That Sunday, Meet the Press ignored the story. Face the Nation ignored the story. Uh, Fox News Sunday ignored the story. ABC's This Week was the only Sunday news show that even bothered to address the fact that the White House had just lost 5 million, invest, 5 million personal emails at the center of a congressional investigation contrast this past sunday there was over there was like 100 and 150 mentions on the sunday east news shows about emails so in in the piece i also go through what the new york times did what the washington post did basically it was a 24-hour story and that was it. The, the New York Times did nothing. You, you detailed how there was, uh, I think, a, a two or three sentence unsigned editorial saying, uh, what was this? Uh, oh, I had it in front of me. They were deeply concerned, you know. Yeah, we're, we're deeply concerned. Uh, it's impossible to erase all these email messages. The claims that they are gone is not credible. And that was the end of it. That was it. Not a single New York Times columnist wrote about yeah. the fact that the Bush White House lost five million private emails. Um, at last count, I'm, I'm losing track. I think the New York Times has published seven or eight columns uh, about Hillary. Washington Post, funny, this is even funnier. The Washington Post did a, uh, an editorial about the lost Bush emails. They said, whoa, 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 this might not really be a scandal. Come on, <laughs> let's calm down. Uh, Karl Rove may have just gotten sloppy advice. Yeah. So but contrast that with Hillary. They've now published three scathing uh, editorials about Hillary's email situation, and I think there are over 10 columns now. Uh, back then, Eugene, o Ro Eugene Robinson was the only one who wrote about it for the Post. And I think it's important to point out here that, you know, the, the Clinton email uh, server 
was not a secret. She was sending email from it. Uh, people were, were getting emails from this address. Contrast that with what the Republicans had set up. It was actually called GWB43.com. Right. Nobody knew about it. It was a secret when it was uh, discovered. People wanted the information on it, not because it was a fishing expedition, but because they were very specifically in the middle of an investigation into the firing of this uh, over the, uh, of these U.S. attorneys. This right. tied to the uh, you know this, this claim that this Republican long uh, claim that the Republicans wanted to bring voter fraud prosecutions even where none was uh, was deserved. Uh, it, it was a huge story. It seems to me. Um, the, the Republicans at this point and the media, and that's the problem, the media are going along with it as if there is something being withheld, but nobody knows exactly what is being withheld. It, you know, because I, Eric, I I like to ask myself in these situations, you know, what what if uh, uh, someone else's email, what if a Republican's email had disappeared? Would I, would I still be scratching my head saying, who cares? Well, I concluded that I would say who cares unless... There was an active investigation going on. You know, if Chris Christie uh, turned out that uh, his Bridgegate emails were gone or something like that. In this case, nobody knows what it is that is Well, and that's interesting, and that that kind of leads to the piece I did today, which was uh, looking at the Jeb Bush situation. So yesterday the story shifted. So the press for weeks said you have she has to answer questions, she has to answer questions. So yesterday, Hillier answered questions, and the press erupted. She did it all wrong. You know, these are all she answered. So the the story shifted yesterday to this press obsession with she had 60,000 personal emails. She handed over half. She sort of um, self-filtered. Um, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the other 30,000 determined that those were personal in nature and did not hold them over. So the entire press coverage now is, oh, my God. She never let an independent reviewer look at these emails. How do we know? She just she just threw them away. And as Hillary said at the press conference, well, you know, if you want to do that, you're going to have to do that for every government employee because that is how it has set up. So the press clearly thinks there should be a double standard for Hillary. But let's go down to uh, Florida where Jeb Bush was governor. He set up a private email account. On the private email account, he got 500,000 emails. They bragged about all the emails he got. They, he bragged about the fact uh, this winter that he, re, he released 250,000 emails. So like, just like Hillary, he, half, he handed over half his emails, and he kept half his emails. Why did he keep half his emails? Because Jeb Bush determined they were personal in nature. They had nothing to do with government. He was going to hang on to him. It literally could not be more similar if you created a <laughs> paragon. They are the exact same thing. Nobody is saying, who, well, who's the independent arbiter that went through Jeb, Jeb Bush? Bush. How, how, we, don't know what, we don't know about those quarter million emails because Jeb Bush decided what was personal and what was private. Uh, I mean, what was public and what was personal. And the point is, that's been the norm since email was created and government employees 
we're using them. Well, that's true. And, you know, I want to say that uh, I, I do find uh, something somewhat problematic about that uh, yeah. as far as uh, these politicians themselves being the, you know, the arbiter of what is what is business related and what is not. Uh, so and, and I think that it's sort of an unforced error on Hillary's part. She didn't need to do this. That said, the difference between that and the way Jeb Bush is treated here, the difference between that and the way Scott Walker, who had an email, a secret email uh, server in the office where he was doing something illegal, at least his staff was, six of them, uh, to have his top staffers had been uh, either charged or pled guilty uh, to the secret email system and using it during uh, 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 for campaign purposes during work hours, which is illegal according to state law, you know, the difference in the way these things are treated, and then, of course, you compare it to the 5 million emails that disappeared, right. that seems to be the difference. So, Eric Bullard, why—explain this to me. <laughs> why does this happen? Why is there this difference between—and it's always been this way. You know, you go back to the beginning. I was watching uh, Andrea Mitchell last night on MSNBC talking about the Rose Law Firm and oh, Whitewater. Uh, and, right. you know, even from that time— the media would freak out whenever it was anything to do with Hillary Clinton or or the Clintons in general. What's that about? It's it's this it's this very strange, destructive sort of dysfunctional uh, relationship. Uh, the press has been chasing the Clintons for decades, uh, and and they chased them during the '90s, and they teamed up with the Republicans, and they teamed up with the re- uh, Republican investigators. Um, you know, people will forget, but, you know, the New York Times sponsored the Whitewater investigation for five years. It put its stamp of approval on that charade for five years, and they couldn't come up with anything. And, and, and what happens? Bill Clinton leaves office the most popular president of modern American history. So there's this frustration. There's this anger. How do they get away with it? And so now we're seeing a return. And, and I tweeted today, and I, I really do think it's true, the 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 Beltway Press basically now sees itself as Hillary Clinton's Democratic primary opponent. If no one else is going to step forward for the Democratic primary season, the D.C. Press is going to do it. They're literally going to run a campaign against Hillary Clinton. Right. And we've never seen anything like that. Well, you know, there's something to that, though, and I'm glad you raised that point, because it, it, what are you hearing from the Beltway, not the the press, but perhaps the you know Democrats, elected officials themselves? What are you hearing about this? Because doesn't it underscore the fact, you know, no, no matter what the scandal is or isn't, doesn't it underscore the fact that Democrats are putting all of their eggs seemingly in a single basket and— uh, uh, this might kind of be a stupid mistake on their part. Well, I don't. You know, it's it's up to the voters. You know, we. You know, in all of this coverage, I I have not read a single sentence, let alone a paragraph, let alone a story that in any way, shape, or form, uh, the Clintons are are intimidating anyone from running, are are demanding nobody runs, are clearing the field the way the Republicans try to clear the field for W. Bush in two thousand and only John McCain. Uh, decided to Oh, run. no, listen, There's no, no. None of that. So, but, you know, if people want to run, they should absolutely run. But it's weird. No one has stepped forward and, like, that's Hillary's fault. Why would it be <laughs> Hillary's fault if no one wants to run? 
I, Eric, Eric, I'm not even suggesting it's Hillary's fault. Yeah, no. I'm suggesting the Democrats might want to think, you know what, maybe it's not a good idea whether this is a real scandal or a fake scandal, whether another real or fake scandal comes up. Maybe uh, we ought to have a competitive primary uh, instead of just everybody sitting back and saying, yeah, Hillary's going to be the one. Right. So, you know, if that's up to politicians, I mean, if someone wants to get in the race, they should absolutely get in the race. Democratic voters in poll after poll after poll, and this drives the D.C. press crazy. <laughs> Democratic voters want Hillary, are going to support Hillary. Uh, it, we've never seen this kind of pre-campaign support for anyone who wasn't an incumbent. Um, so, you know, if, if, there was, if there was a lack of support for her, then people would be getting in the race. So, I, you know, it's kind of like this chicken and the egg thing. People aren't getting in the race because Democratic voters have told pollsters for years, oh, she's, my, she's who I want. She's who I'm going to vote for. She's, you mm-hmm. know, so it's, it's, this kind of, it's kind of this odd situation. But it does play into my point about, you know, the press deciding it's basically going to run against Hillary yeah. if nobody else will. Because yeah. the, 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 the subtext, the undercurrent, uh, of the coverage now and the coverage in the 90s is these Democratic voters are such rubes. How do they keep getting fooled by the Clintons? When will these Democrats, why don't they see the Clintons the way we see the Clintons? They're calculating, they're phony, they're not, they don't have your best interest. So, you know, the, the press is so mm-hmm. upset and so frustrated that there hasn't been this sort of revolt against the Clintons. And again, I think yeah. that sort of drives the simmering contempt. Well, I, I, I understand that. And I, a point taken, uh, I still think it's a risky game, frankly, that the Democrats but, are playing here's here. My, here yeah. Here's what I'm trying to say, and I'm not doing, saying it very well. I don't think Democrats see it as a game. I don't think there's any calculated uh, point among voters saying, oh, let's all go for Hillary and, and, and we shouldn't support anyone else. It's organic. If you ask people who they support, 67, 50, 65% are saying, I support Hillary. So I don't think it's sort of this conscious, oh, let's all go for one person or we should have others. It's up to politicians. If they want to run, they ought to well, run. Well, it is, Eric, but, you know, Elizabeth nothing Warren... Stopping them is my question. Uh, nothing stopping them, but, you know, Elizabeth Warren it would probably be running, I would think, if she didn't see Hillary in the way. And that's up to her, of course. Right. But... Uh, I, I don't know. I, I just think it's unwise it's for Democrats. situation. There's no question. It's about unwise it. for Democrats. Uh, they got two years to go. Uh, you know what happens with the press, with the uh, pretend right wing media. And yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. you know, just with the way Clintons are. So we'll see what happens. I All right. lo- honestly, yeah. I would love to see a competitive primary. I think it would be fascinating. Me too. I'm going to yeah. I may be declaring next week. All right. Let me move on uh, to uh, to Bill O'Reilly here. Yeah. Now, uh, from that same poll I read at the top, Quinnipiac poll, uh, Forty-two percent of registered voters think NBC should allow Brian Williams to anchor NBC Nightly News, while thirty-five percent think that he sh- they should uh, not give him another chance after his uh, six-month suspension is up. With Bill O'Reilly, however, fifty-one percent responded that they haven't heard enough to say whether he should be fired. 
suspended or allowed to continue with Fox News. So, Eric, if you will indulge me, since I'm just amazed by this, the amount of lies that Bill O'Reilly has told in comparison to Brian Williams, if you'll just indulge me, I want to play one or two sound clips so we can simply establish what Bill O'Reilly actually uh, did, if you don't mind. This, uh, you know, people may have heard, apparently 51% haven't, but people may have heard uh, that he lied about his coverage of the Falkland War, that he lied about seeing nuns shot in the head in El Salvador. Later on, they admitted, oh, he saw pictures of them. Uh, He lied about bombings in uh, Northern Ireland. Uh, Later on, he said he saw pictures of them. Uh, And then we get to this JFK story, this amazing story about this guy who was um, a CIA guy who was hanging out uh, near uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, some questions about him, and he committed suicide. And Bill O'Reilly has taken this story uh, and made it his own in a blatant way that is so easy to disprove. I just want to get it on the fact, uh, on the record here, that there is no way he can possibly get out of this one. So here is Bill O'Reilly talking about this story and his coverage of it back in the 70s, uh, very recently on Fox and Friends. There's a guy named George DeMorenshield who is a shadowy guy uh, who had CIA connections, and he's swirling around Lee Harvey Oswald. Oswald's a loser, lowest rung, okay? No way this guy should be swirling around him. Now, I reported on this guy when I was working at WFAA-TV in Dallas, this DeMorean Shield, because he taught at Bishop College in Dallas. I can't put that together. Mm. Now, I chased DeMorean Shield to Florida, and I was about to knock on the door where he was, his daughter's house, and he blew his brains out with a shotgun. Really? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Now, a shocking story, but uh, and one that it wasn't a, he wasn't misspeaking. He wasn't speaking in terms, you know, general terms of, uh, oh, yeah, I was I was about to see him the next day. Uh, he was very specific. He repeated that specific story in his book called Killing Kennedy. Uh, and and he talked about how the fact that uh, this reporter knocked on the door of DeMorne Shields' daughter's home. He heard the shotgun blast that marked the suicide of the Russian, assuring that his relationship with Lee Harvey Oswald will never be fully understood. That reporter's name is Bill O'Reilly. That's from the audio version uh, of the book, uh, from the book itself, and he reads it in his own voice. Uh, but what really happened, incredibly, we've got this audio from uh, this actual JFK investigator, uh, Gitan Fonzi was his name, um, who, who pursued this story for decades. And amazingly, we have this call between Bill O'Reilly and Fonzi, the day that this guy killed himself and Bill O'Reilly was not on his doorstep. He was in fact in Florida. He was in fact uh, in Texas, in Dallas, hundreds of miles away. Here's the here's that phone call. Hi, Gaden, Bill O'Reilly. Yeah. Look, something definitely did happen. Yeah, I got it. What is it? He committed suicide up here, here in uh, where, where I was trying to locate him. Okay, where is that? It's a place called uh, uh, Manalapan, M-A-N-A. L-A-P-A-N, Palm Beach County. Okay, and that's, that's a, a town, Manalapan? Yeah, it's uh, it's a section of uh, Lantana. Yeah. With the National Enquirers. Okay, so he committed suicide, he's dead. Yeah. Okay, what time? Late this afternoon, I don't okay. know. Okay, gun? I think, yeah, I think he said he shot himself. Okay. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Isn't that something? Jesus. Now we got to get this guy Epstein. I'm coming down there tomorrow. I'm coming to Florida. We got to get this guy. He knows. He knows what happened. Well, I'm going to be up there, probably trying to secure the papers. Yeah. Okay. 
All right, I'm going to get in there tomorrow. I'm going to get a car. Okay, I'm coming down there tomorrow. I'm coming to Florida. No, he was not knocking on the guy's door when the shotgun blast happened. So if there's any question about any of these uh, supposed lies, uh, there is no question about this one. Fox News has not responded to it. So uh, Eric Bollert, please help me understand why the hell there was this furor over Brian Williams and Fox News doesn't seem to matter. Well, the consensus seems to be well. It's only Fox News, right? So they're never going to—they're never going to admit reality. They're never going to give in. Uh, look, when NBC, when that Brian Williams story blew up, you know, they immediately launched an internal review, right? They immediately tried um, to answer questions. They immediately tried to da- sort of damp, uh, protect its credibility and things like that. When questions are, arise around a Fox News story, and particularly when it's one of its evening hosts and Bill O'Reilly, the face of Fox News, if you raise questions about his truthfulness, you're declaring a cultural war. So the cultural war trumps everything, and you just sort of double down. You know, initially with Mother Jones and the Falkland War allegations, and, and O'Reilly went into bluster mode and was calling names and spent two or three nights funny, once Media Matters reported on the JFK thing, uh, Fox News and O'Reilly went into radio silence. You know, they had no response because it's Bill O'Reilly debunking Bill O'Reilly in his own voice. It's yeah, exactly. Um, so, um, you know, it was a little bit frustrating uh, because the sort of the conventional media, you know, the mainstream media take was, well, it's just Fox News. You know, it's just O'Reilly being mm-hmm. O'Reilly type of thing. Um and I'm sorry if you're a, if you call yourself Fox News and, and, and the face of Fox News, the most watched person on Fox News is being chronicled day after day as just sort of a congenital liar. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a story, and you ought to do something about it. Uh, but they just sort of hunkered down, and and, and the press and, and you know the press just sort of shrugged its shoulders, like, well. You know, it's just O'Reilly being O'Reilly. Well, let me give uh, credit to Brian Stelter on CNN's Reliable Sources on Sunday. And I've got this clip, but I don't have time to play it because I want to get another thought or two before I let you go. Uh, But basically, Eric Burns uh, was on CNN. He's a longtime Fox insider. He was the decade-long host for their Sunday uh, media uh, critique show called Fox Media Watch uh, until 2008. Uh, and, you know, he came out and basically said O'Reilly uh, lies time and again that Fox News is a right wing cult. These were yeah. his words that O'Reilly is the leader of that cult yep. uh, and uh, that, you know, nobody holds him to the same standards that they hold Brian Williams because this is a cult, not yeah. an actual news organization. This is a guy who was the host of a weekly Fox show for 10 years. And what's astounding is is that highlights what Fox has done since whenever Burns left. Was it 2008? Yeah. uh, Now. I mean, you know, there have been three or four uh, clear pivot points in Fox News history. Uh, The Florida recount, the war in Iraq, uh, Obama's election. Uh, Those were each time, each of those goalposts or, or milestones, they took a sharp uh, turn to the right, and and so they have taken such a far turn to the right since Burns left 
that he can't even recognize it every, anymore, and he sees it as a cult. And that's, as you say, that's a guy who's lived there for, or who worked there for 10 years. It's also interesting when you talk to people who used to work with O'Reilly, whether it was CBS in the Falklands, whether it was local people in, in, in Dallas, they all say the same awful things about him as a person, as a journalist. Yes. Just like cannot trust him. Awful. Just oh, it's so unpleasant to hear their comments about him. Well, it's and, and, that's, and even and just like on a personal level, yeah. they're all like, yeah, it's 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 revealing. Well, before I let you go, Eric, why does does this matter? Because you're right. We do hear, oh, it's just Fox. We know they lie. Ignore them. What does it matter? I argue that it actually does matter. I argue that that Fox and talk radio have uh, poisoned uh, everything in this country, the discourse, the politics, uh, to a dangerous point. And I think that's underscored in this Iran letter. I'm going to talk about that after the break a little bit. But uh, I think it matters. It absolutely does matter. It does matter because it goes right back to that poll you talked about in the beginning. Yeah. What's the most, quote, respected news organization in, in the country? It's Fox News. Now, we talked about why, because all the conservatives put their eggs in one basket. But you, you can't say on the one hand, oh, it's just Fox being Fox, and then on the other hand say, oh, my gosh, it's, it's the most respected news organization in the country. It does matter. The misinformation matters. The, 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 the polluting of the of public dialogue matters. Uh, the fact that their most famous person is a, is, is a chronic liar matters. It all matters. Um, and that's why, you know, at Media Matters, that's why we're committed to documenting this stuff. Yes, and I'm so glad uh, you are and that you hang in there as uh, Fox News' uh, diabolical uh, nemesis by, uh, you know— printing what they actually said and what the actual independently verifiable facts are. Uh, Eric Bowler, the problem is, you know, cults don't just generally dissipate short of some terrible tragedy. They tend to keep growing, and I think that's a problem for this country. So I really appreciate the fact that you do continue to cover them no matter how insane they are. Eric Bollert, Senior Fellow at Media Matters. My friend, always great to, uh, to catch up with you. We will do it again soon, I suspect. All right, talk to you soon. Thank you, brother. Dog goes woof, cat goes meow, bird goes tweet, and mouse goes squeak. Cow goes moo, frog goes crow, and the elephant goes toot. Dogs say quack, and fish go blub, and the seal goes ow, 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 but there's no sound that no one knows. What does the fox say? Okay, we're going to take a quick break and come back with much more Bradcast, much more madness, much more on the crazy train. You're listening to the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. What the fuck say? Big blue eyes, pointy nose, chasing mice and digging holes.
Yes, it is. That's how it goes lately. Crazy. Crazy. The politics of crazy, the politics of stupid as far as the eye can see. <sighs> we just got over this Department of Homeland Security uh, nonsense where the Republicans were holding DHS hostage over Obama's immigration executive action. Well, uh, he didn't blink. And uh, they ended up funding it and everything was fine. We have seen this now over and over and over. And the problem is we are going to continue to see it just to let you know where we are headed. This is going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Coming up just this year alone, as Ashley Parker notes at The New York Times, in April, physicians who treat Medicare patients face a drastic cut in pay unless Congress takes action. In May, the Highway Trust Fund runs dry unless Congress takes action. In June, the charter for the Federal Export-Import Bank ceases to exist unless Congress takes action. And then in October, across-the-board spending cuts return, the government runs out of money, and the Treasury bumps into another borrowing limit. Yes, the debt ceiling once again unless Congress takes action. This is our calendar for the year ahead. A public service to you, so you know what to get ready for. Uh, and uh, this is a Republican is quoted in this uh, article in the Times, uh, Pennsylvania Republican uh, Charlie Dent, saying, Yeah, we don't have the 218 votes to determine a bathroom break over here on our side in the U.S. House. So how are we going to get 218 votes on transportation or trade or whatever the issue? We might as well face the reality of our circumstances and then act accordingly. Whatever that means, I don't know, but I suspect it has to do with Republicans and Nancy Pelosi saving their asses again. Uh, and that's exactly what happened on DHS. But, you know, how many times are they going to hold this country hostage? We're going to see a lot of this in the year ahead. As I say, it's only going to get worse before it gets better. Speaking of political crazy train, uh, remember this guy, this uh, supposedly constitutional uh, county sheriff, uh, Richard Mack, former Arizona county sheriff. He's a fierce opponent of Obamacare. And he's uh, the leader in this constitutional sheriff movement that believes that the county sheriff is the top law enforcement official in any location that they are, that the feds have have nothing to do. Anyway, he's a huge uh, opponent of Obamacare. He showed up at this Bundy Ranch last year. You may recall that um, to, uh, you know, pretend that there was a federal siege on this poor rancher who was actually a scofflaw and he was stealing from federal lands, et cetera, et cetera. Well, um, this guy... Well, here's what he said. Uh, this is clip number six, G. Uh, it, it, just to give you an idea of who this guy is, Sheriff Richard Mack, here's what he said uh, last year during the standoff at the Bundy Ranch. We were actually strategizing to put all the women up at the front. If they're going to start shooting, it's going to be women that are going to be televised all across the world getting shot by these rogue federal officers. Awesome. Very brave. Very impressive. Mr. Sheriff, let's put the woman, women up in front. If they start shooting, they're going to get shot. That'll show them. That'll alert them. Anyway, uh, this uh, jackass, Richard Mack, um, you know, of course he hated Obamacare because it's a federal a government takeover of, of health care, which it ain't. 
I wish it was, but it ain't. Um, he had a heart attack in December, and his uh, his wife has had uh, ill health ever since. Turns out, Richard Mack and his wife have no health insurance. Yes, they didn't bother to get any Obamacare because that would be tyranny. So what are they doing? They've set up a GoFundMe site asking the public to give them money for their health care. Yes, that's right. They're begging the public for money for their health care. But they hate Obamacare because it takes money from the public to give health care to people who need it. Like Richard Mack, who had a heart attack. And had no money to pay the hospital for the uh, the bills, and for his wife, who fortunately did not get shot uh, at the Bundy Ranch. But they do need health care, and so if you want, you can go to the GoFundMe site. I hope that he gets his uh, the health care that he needs, and I hope he figures this out and uh, signs up for Obamacare, where he can get uh, very reasonably priced affordable health care. Yes, funded by the rest of us Americans, uh, but we don't have to go to a GoFundMe site to beg for it. Idiot. All right. um, Speaking of idiots, let's move on to this nonsense in Iran. Oh, and Desi Doyen is going to be coming up in a a little bit with the Green News Report. So, Desi, stand by. Uh, You can also tweet me uh, throughout the show here and uh, beyond at the Brad blog. Did I even say I'd even say, oh, Brad Friedman. Uh, from bradblog.com here on the Bradcast. Welcome back to it. All right. I should say that. This letter, speaking of crazy, uh, from the—this uh, is crazier than I thought. You know, when I had heard about this Iran letter, I was thinking, oh, it's just another, you know, Democrats are complaining because they see— Republicans undermining the president. The president happens to be a Democrat, just the way the Republicans used to complain when they saw Democrats undermining George W. Bush or something. Uh, So, okay, justified, but uh, not the—we've been hearing people talk about traitorous. It's treasonous what these 47 Republican U.S. senators did in this letter that they all signed by hand uh, to send to the leadership of Iran to try to undermine— negotiations uh, over the uh, nuclear program in Iran. Well, uh, this letter, if you read it, it's only five paragraphs, and it is way worse than I thought. I published it today at bradblog.com. If you want to actually give it a read, it is so embarrassing and so condescending uh, and so, frankly, unprecedented uh, that they would send such a letter. But you don't have to be a partisan Democrat to look at this thing and go, what the hell were these people thinking? It has come to our attention while observing your nuclear negotiations with our government that you may not fully understand our constitutional system. Thus, we are writing to bring your attention to two features of our Constitution. Uh, it, it goes on and on for five paragraphs, uh, speaking down to these people, most of whom, by the way, were educated in the U.S. They understand the Constitution, and apparently they understand it better than Tom Cotton even understands it. He's the author of this letter, this freshman uh, senator from Arkansas, uh, this Tea Party, neocon Tea Party senator who, uh, after sending this letter, here's the last line. We hope this letter enriches your knowledge of our constitutional system and promotes mutual understanding and clarity as nuclear negotiations progress. It's unbelievable, and it's wrong on the Constitution. 
they, they claim that the Senate must ratify any treaties uh, between the president and, and other countries. They're wrong. It's actually the president who ratifies it. Uh, not a big mistake, but in a letter where you're talking down to the leadership of another country or you're undermining your own leadership in your own country, you'd think you'd want to get the facts about that constitution that you are condescending to them about. You'd think you'd want, they'd want to get that right. Apparently not. Uh, this Tom Cotton then uh, went out the very next day and met with the, what's this called? The Association, um, the Association, uh, the NDIA, the National Defense Industrial Association, a lobbying and professional group for defense contractors, because, of course, that's what this is all about. As Vice President Joe Biden said in his response to this ridiculous letter, the author of this letter has been explicit, uh, that he, explicit that he is seeking to take any action that will end President Obama's diplom diplomatic negotiations with Iran. But to what end? Joe Biden wrote, if talks collapse because of congressional intervention, the United States will be blamed, leaving us with the worst of all world worlds. Iran's nuclear program, currently frozen, would race forward again. We would lack the international unity necessary to justify necessary just to enforce existing sanctions, let alone put in place new ones. And here's the key part from Joe Biden. Without diplomacy or increased pressure, the need to resort to military force becomes much more likely at a time when our forces are already engaged in the fight against ISIL. So, yeah. Without this diplomacy, the need to resort to military becomes much more likely. That's what this is about. These Republicans are getting real goddamn tired of not having a real uh, out-and-out out shooting war on the ground. They're getting real goddamn tired that we're not uh, attacking another country, occupying yet another country. Oh, the drones, they're all well and good, but we need boots on the ground. We need to be at war with another country. We got defense contractors to pay. I got an election coming up. I need that money. We need another war, damn it. And that's what this is all about. Another war. And they're going to get one. At least if they have any say to it. They're going to do whatever they need to do to get that war. And you, once again, are going to pay the price. Don't fall for it. And by the way, while Tom Cotton deserves a lot of derision for that letter, so do 47 Republican U.S. senators, including the entire leadership of the U.S. Senate, who signed on to that. That's not a partisan thing talking. That's just an American thing. That's one of the most embarrassing things I have ever seen from this U.S. Senate. All right, let's do some green news. Welcome back, Desi Doyen. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, see, that's what well, that's what happens when I go off for a few weeks for fun drive. I get irritated. Oh, yes. I get really mad. And there's so much to get irritated about. Oh, there's about. plenty to get irritated about. Speaking of which, before we get to the green news, uh, if we have a minute uh, to queue up uh, queue number nine in there, G, uh, this is an amazing story. Miles Grant at Bradblog.com uh, blogged about this, guest blogged about this for us. Um, 
Uh, he usually writes over at The Green Miles. Uh, while I know that our friends out east have been freezing all winter long and getting buried with snow, uh, the fact of the matter is out here, out west, it has been unusually warm uh, and dry across much of the west. This has been reported on. We've been shattering warm records out here in the That's West. That's right. California just shattered the record for the hottest February on record in it's California. It's California, Seattle, uh, you know, Portland, all over the place, Salt Lake City, yep. uh, and uh, Boise, Idaho. And this was an amazing uh, uh, clip. People have been reporting on these records, but they're not tying it to global warming. They're just not saying the words. They're not saying climate change. They're not saying global warming. Here, for example, is uh, a, a recent news in Idaho as uh, warm weather records were shattered there. And you can hear them struggling to not say climate change or global warming. So, Bob, the National Weather Service says February was the warmest on record based on readings at Boise Airport since they started keeping records back in 1940. As a matter of fact, I was looking at that, and it was the warmest average maximum, Why? warmest average minimum temperature, mm -hmm. and the warmest average Why? temperature for Why? the month of February. But as far as precipitation, uh, we are a little bit ahead. You would think with the warm temperatures, that? we might be. Why? Yeah, you would think that. But we're, we were ahead for the month of February. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Just That's why going would you back to 1940 <laughs> when records were first kept at the Boise Airport? All the way back to 1940, the before days. my time. Well, well one of the in your times. time, Rick, they had the weather what service office in downtown Boise. Uh -huh. What has changed? What has changed since then? Why can't they say it, Desi? <laughs> I don't know. That is something that you see actually across the country, especially in the Midwest, where these uh, meteorologists don't want to talk about it. They don't want to offend their listeners, I guess. But, you know, there are some meteorologists that are starting to talk about it. So it's it's getting more into uh, into the public's mind and awareness. Yeah, well, take your time. Take your time. <laughs> no rush. No rush at all. Unbelievable. <sighs> all right, let's get to it. Our latest Green News report. We've apologized to the community for causing this kind of a disruption so soon. Another day, another two more oil train explosions. The ex-employees who come from various parts of the state all said they were given verbal instructions not to use climate change related language while on the job. In Florida, the first rule of global warming is don't talk about global warming. The Fukushima nuclear disaster, still a disaster, plus... Solar Impulse has touched the ground. First leg is now complete. The world's first solar-powered plane soars to aviation history. All of those firsts and more straight ahead. From bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. If we just had the money that this president has spent on global warming, we wouldn't be having the problems that we're serious problems that we're having right now with our military. And yet, Senator Inhofe, the military wants the president to spend more money on global warming. Go figure. This is your Green News Report. Senator Jim Inhofe, great to see you this morning. By the way, I gotta say, that was an impressive snowball. Dizzy Doyen, I remember hearing this old joke during the George W. Bush administration that they had planned a mission for NASA to fly to the sun. And people said, that's ridiculous. And George W. Bush said, well, no, not really. They're going to go at night. So but um, ching. now we've got a solar airplane that's going to fly around the world and it's even going to fly 
at night. That's right. It's an incredible innovation. Is George W. Bush the pilot of this one? Thank God, no. But more on that in a moment. First, another day, another oil train explosion. Enormous, enormous amount of flames. Make that two new oil train explosions. Just heard a big boom. In just one week. First, a train carrying volatile Bakken shale crude from North Dakota derailed and caught fire near Galena, Illinois, on the Idaho border on Thursday. Then on Saturday, 38 oil cars derailed and exploded near the northern Ontario community of Gogama. It's also important to note that this is the fourth CN Rail derailment in northern Ontario this year. It's the second oil train derailment in a month outside Gogama, reports the CBC, and residents are very concerned because the railroad tracks run right through town. What if it had been another two kilometers and uh, it would happen in the middle of the village? You can imagine the size of the fire just by the size of the smoke coming out of there. Uh, Gogama would be gone. Well, what the hell is going on, Desi Doyen, with all of these oil bomb explosions, these trains that are blowing up left and right, it seems. It's all due to the increase in production of tar sands in Canada and of the back and shale in North Dakota. They are making this faster than they can ship it, and they are taking up the railways to do it. And they're taking it up with unsafe cars. Doesn't this underscore the point that, oh, we could use a great big giant pipeline to deliver all this oil and it would be much safer? It is important to remember that oil trains spill more often, but pipelines spill more oil overall, three times more oil than oil trains. Officials at the Florida Department of Environmental Protection were verbally ordered not to use the term climate change or global warming in any official communications, reports, or emails. That's according to a new bombshell investigation from the Florida Center for Investigative Reporting. It's based on interviews with former employees and on public records requests. A spokesperson for Florida's Republican Governor Rick Scott, who's also a climate change denier, has said that no such policy exists. Florida is the U.S. state that is most vulnerable to climate change and sea level rise. Have the words global warming and climate change showed up in any reports from the state of Florida that you know of? No, the only time it has shown up is in references to other reports that have climate change in the title. If we don't talk about it, we can just wish it away. This week marks the fourth anniversary of the disaster at the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant in Japan. On March 11, 2011, a record earthquake generated a 45-foot tsunami that destroyed the nuclear power plant's cooling systems. Plant owner TEPCO says the plant is now stable, but was recently forced to admit that it failed to inform the public and fishermen of a new leak of radioactive water into the ocean over nine months last year. It's amazing that it's already been four years, and frankly, it's amazing that they still seem to be lying about what's going on there. And remember, decommissioning is going to take 30 to 40 years. But some good news. Solar Impulse 2, an updated version of the world's first solar-powered plane, on Monday successfully completed the first leg of an epic round-the-world flight. The giant Solar Impulse 2 takes to the skies of Abu Dhabi at the start of an attempt to make aviation history. Pilot and owner Bertrand Picard hopes it opens a new era in aviation. It's very, very strange to, to look. It flies quite slowly. It's sensitive to turbulence, but it flies forever. One day, maybe electric airplanes will transport 200 passengers. I, I hope, I have to say. The plane is powered by over 17,000 solar cells embedded on its massive wingspan that charge batteries, enabling the plane to fly overnight. It will make 12 stops around the world on its five-month journey. Very cool. For much more on all of the stories we covered today and the ones we couldn't get to, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. 
Don't forget, you can download our reports anytime via TuneIn, Stitcher, or iTunes, where we hope you'll leave us a good review to help others find us as well. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. I believe I can fly. Leave it to Desi Doyen to end on a happy note. That's nice for a change. My thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our soundboard operator, G. We'll be back, same Brad time, same Brad channel next week. Until then, you can find me on the Twitters at the Brad Blog and, of course, at bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good night, world.